uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And so I'm going to read down to verse 11 uh, tonight. And uh, you know the drill. Let's stand and uh, let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have given us not only the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has given us various gifts. And we know that these gifts are for the building up of the body of Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you for them, but we know they're not for us. They're for the benefit of the entire body. And, Lord, we pray that we would be faithful in using the gifts that you've given to each of us. And, Lord, I thank you that here in this uh, church family, I see that happening on a uh, daily and a weekly basis, and Lord, I thank you for people who step up and and serve and employ their gifts, and uh, Lord, just the way that you use that collectively to be a blessing to all of us. And Lord, that's uh, we know your design, and so Lord, we uh, pray that you would help us to be the church that you've called us to be, and as we consider spiritual gifts, that we would understand rightly uh, your plan for your church. And that we might uh, be diligent uh, in, apl- in applying these truths to our lives. So help us now tonight as we worship and as we uh, lift our voices in song. And Lord, we pray that you would just bless our time in your word tonight. Again, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, take your Bible again and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. We're continuing our study of spiritual gifts tonight. And uh, this subject, as you probably know, is covered in chapters 12 through 14. Uh, Last time, I introduced this topic by giving some essential background and then examining the importance of spiritual gifts. So that was point number one, and we saw that in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So we had gotten into the text just a little bit and uh, seen the importance of the spiritual gifts. Paul tells us that spiritual gifts are vitally important to the life of the church, but there is a danger in abusing them. And Satan often counterfeits the true gifts, and the Corinthian believers were abusing them. And yet it is absolutely critical 
for us to be using our spiritual gifts in the church. And so we looked at that uh, two weeks ago. We need to have a right understanding of spiritual gifts so that we can employ them in the building up of the Lord's church. That's what they were designed to do. But now tonight we want to move on to a second thing that we need to see in 1 Corinthians 12, and that is the purpose of the gifts, the purpose of the gifts. Before we move into our text this evening, we need to answer the question of why God gives spiritual gifts to begin with. And the answer to this question ties into the current role of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament dispensation. One of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit in this age is to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. John 16, 8 says, And he, the Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so there's the convicting role of the Holy Spirit, and that's uh, whenever the Word of God goes forth, then the Spirit convicts us of our need to comply with God's Word. Another important role is that of restraining evil in the world. And we see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and there it says, And you know what restrains him, that is the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, now, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Someday, if you study that passage, what that means, someday the Holy Spirit will step aside and will allow the Antichrist to begin his reign of terror and evil in this world. But right now, the Holy Spirit is restraining evil. The world's not as bad as it can be. Sometimes we think it's really bad, but it's not as bad as it could be. The Holy Spirit is restraining And uh, it can always get worse. In fact, someday it's going to get much worse as the Holy Spirit steps aside and allows evil to go unrestrained. And then it will get as bad as it's going to get before the Lord comes. But those are things the Holy Spirit does in the world. Convicts the world concerning sin and Righteousness and judgment restrains evil in the world. What about the Holy Spirit's role among believers? The Bible tells us that his current ministry to believers includes a number of things. It includes the work of regeneration, assurance of salvation, adoption, sealing, indwelling, empowering, illuminating, sanctifying, and even praying. Because the Bible tells us there are times we don't know how to pray as we ought, and the Holy Spirit intervenes for us. But the Holy Spirit also has a ministry toward the church corporately. All of those things are for individual believers, 
But there's a ministry the Holy Spirit has toward the church as a whole, and that is the role of creating fellowship and unity. The role of creating fellowship and unity. Ephesians 4.3 tells us that we are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In fact, turn with me to that passage for just a moment. That is uh, Ephesians 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and let's look at that passage. In fact, let's back up to verse 1. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice that this passage teaches that the unity of the church is the unity of the Spirit. This is something the Spirit creates. It is right here where spiritual gifts come into play. You see, it is important for us to understand that we don't create unity the Holy Spirit does. And yet we're commanded to preserve it. That's the command. We, we need to preserve what the Holy Spirit creates. And the implication here is that the unity of the Spirit can be destroyed. How can it be destroyed? By strife and division. We can't create unity in the church, but we can preserve it. We can protect it. We can uh, not allow Satan to destroy the fellowship and the unity that we have in the church by causing strife and division. And it's very simple. You say, well, well, how do we do that? It's very simple. Just stop creating division. Uh, you know, don't operate in the flesh. Don't, don't become selfish and self-centered and get your feelings hurt and, and start gossiping and, and causing strife and, and division in the body. Just don't do that. And you'll preserve the bond of peace. Don't do anything that's going to cause strife. This is what the Bible teaches. The unity of the church is a given It is created by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. But we have to make sure that we're not doing anything that will negatively impact that unity. It isn't up to us to create unity, but it is up to us to keep from interrupting that unity that the Spirit creates. Well, what is it that's going to enable us to do that? Look again at verse 2 there. He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. That's how we're going to do it. By being patient with one another, by loving one another, by being gentle and humble, rather than the opposite of those qualities. And as we do that, then we're going to see that Unity preserved. Now, that's our part in preserving the unity that the the, the Spirit creates. But someone might ask the question, well, how does the Holy Spirit create that unity to begin with? How, How does the Spirit create that unity? 
Well, one of the ways that he does that is by giving every believer a ministry that is focused on building up all the other believers in the church. He gives all of us a ministry. And it is critical that we are constantly ministering to one another because that guards our unity. This is his design. This is God's design. As soon as somebody in the body closes up and doesn't interact and doesn't share with or minister to the rest of the body, they become a point of isolation. And Satan can use that isolation to pull them away from the protection of the fellowship of the body. And by the way, I've seen this happen countless times. Somebody who who begins to kind of pull away from the fellowship and they begin to isolate themselves. And next thing you know, they're just coming every once in a while and and they're pulling away from that protection. This is something Satan often does in the church, but it can destroy that unity and the and the design that God has for the church. This is exactly how a wandering sheep becomes vulnerable to a predator when he isolates himself from the rest of the flock and from the shepherds. And he gets out away from the flock and he's easy prey. But on the other hand, when there is a flow of ministry on the part of every believer, there's going to be the unity of the Spirit and there's going to be the protection of the flock. That's why, listen, fellowship is vital in the Christian life. It is vital. This is where the spiritual gifts come in. Because all the gifts are given to be employed for the sake of ministry to others in the body. They're all tools for ministry. 1 Peter 4.10 In fact, turn with me to 1 Peter 4.10. It's one of the clearest uh, verses in all the Word of God in regard to spiritual gifts. And and if you memorize 1 Peter 4.10, you're a long way down the road in understanding spiritual gifts. It's about as clear as it can get. It says this, as each one, oh, I wonder if I have a spiritual, as each one has received... A spiritual gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, that's pretty clear. One of the main reasons why the gifts are so important is because they guard our unity. And we're commanded to employ our gifts to benefit the others in the body of Christ Uh, This is one of the main reasons why God gives spiritual gifts. But notice what was happening in the Corinthian church. Was there unity there? No. There was division and strife everywhere. Why? Well, we've already been told that they were immature and fleshly. But another problem is that they were abusing the spiritual gifts. They weren't using them as they should have been. They had corrupted the whole system. They were not 
content, first of all, with the gifts that God had given them. They wanted different ones, primarily the showy gifts, and they were perverting the ones they did have. For example, they took the gift of languages, which is the ability to speak in a language they had not learned, and they made that the primary gift. Then, due to the value that their society placed on ecstatic utterances, they made that the mark of spirituality. They basically implied that anyone who did not have this particular gift was not really spiritual. Michael Green, in his book, Why I Believe in the Holy Spirit, says it well. He says, if this particular gift is prized above all others, it easily leads to a cult of experience and excessive individualism. In other words, jealousy in those who do not have this gift and pride in those who do can lead to an environment where Christian love can disappear, and so can unity. And Satan loves to do this kind of thing in the church. So one important purpose for spiritual gifts is to help preserve the unity of the Spirit. But let's move back into our text in 1 Corinthians 12, and let's note another important element, which is the diversity of spiritual gifts. Diversity of spiritual gifts. Look with me again at verses 4 through 7. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Notice, first of all, a contrast here. Unity and diversity at the same time. This is a beautiful doctrine. God has built his church in such a way that there is unity, but that unity will only be maintained when there's diversity. A reporter once came to interview a quarterback, and the quarterback said, and he said to the quarterback, you have a, a big game tomorrow. Are you ready for it? The quarterback said, oh, yeah, really ready. We're really ready. The reporter asked, well, do you, do you really feel that there's team unity? And the quarterback said, we have so much unity. It's unbelievable. In fact, he said, We are so unified, we have decided that all 44 players are going to play quarterback. Is that unity? How do you think a football team would do if all 44 players on the roster tried to play the same position? That wouldn't work very well. Neither does it work in the church Anytime everyone is chasing one particular gift, whatever that might be, if it's tongues, if it's any other gift, it 
is the same effect. Anytime everyone is chasing the same gift in the same ministry, it dilutes what God wants to do in the church. There are a variety of gifts. God wants all the gifts to be at work in the body of Christ. The word for varieties there in verse 4 literally means distributions. What do you do when you distribute something? Do you take it all and put it in one place and pile No, you scatter it out, don't you? If you distribute something, you scatter it out. And that's what this word means. That's what the Holy Spirit does with the gifts. He scatters them out to different believers. You say, Pastor, how many different spiritual gifts are there? Everyone seems to have a different list. Well, we do have a list here in 1 Corinthians 12. We have another one in Romans 12. We have one in 1 Peter 4. Some would also include Ephesians 4, but I believe that refers to gifted men rather than spiritual gifts. Of course, in that passage, you would have to say that those gifted men have spiritual gifts, but I don't take that as a list of spiritual gifts. The question also comes up, are these all the gifts there are in these biblical lists here, or are there others that are not listed in Scripture? I personally believe that these listed are not all that there are because we see examples in Scripture that there are other ways in which the Spirit graces individuals with special abilities. For example, in Exodus 36, 2, as the Israelites were commanded to build the, t- the tabernacle, it says, Then Moses called uh, Bezalel and Aholiab, and every skillful person in whom the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him to come to the work and perform it. Verse 4 says, And all the skillful men who were performing all the work of the century, uh, sanctuary came, each from the work he was performing. God has given these men some special abilities to work on the tabernacle. So here is a, a special ability that the Lord had given to certain men for a specific job. Some would not consider that a spiritual gift, but at least you would have to say it was a special God-given ability. I also believe that martyrdom is a spiritual gift, even though it's not in any of the lists. And of course, that's not one that anyone is seeking after, but it is a divinely given ability to die in such a way as to bring glory to God. In fact, I believe Stephen had that gift. Uh, In fact, turn with me for just a moment and let's look at that account in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Acts 7. And let's look at verse 54. Now, when they heard this, that is his scathing rebuke, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit... He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears, and they rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Notice the the Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit. This is something the Holy Spirit enabled him to face. It was the Holy Spirit that enabled Stephen to die in such a God-honoring way. Now, I don't know about you, but I uh, don't know if I would be able, apart from the Lord's help, to do something like that. I believe the Spirit of God gave Stephen this special ability. And uh, I believe he has done that to others down through church history. Now, whether you want to put that on a list of spiritual gifts or not, you have to admit that it was a special endowment of the Spirit in this case. And I believe that there have been a number of martyred Christians throughout church history that have been given this uh, same gift, and you can read about many of those. It's very interesting. So there are many gifts, and as I've already pointed out, there are five words that Paul uses to refer to the spiritual gifts in this chapter. Each one of those words points to a different aspect of the spiritual gifts. So let's run through those quickly. Number one is the word spirituals. That's the word in verse one. It means that all of these gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. They are spiritual in nature. That is their source, and they are characterized as being spiritual in nature. Secondly is the word gifts in verse 4. This is the word charismata, which means grace given. Of course, we get the word charismatic from that word. But the emphasis here is that all the gifts are undeserved. They're all given by God's unmerited favor as gifts of his grace. Thirdly, there's the word administrations or ministries in verse 5. This is from the Greek word diakonia, where the word deacon comes from. It means servant. And the application for spiritual gifts is that all the gifts are to be used for serving others in the body. They're tools, not toys. Spiritual gifts are not designed as special privileges for those who have them, but as means for edifying others and building them up in the faith. And you say, well, what about a gift that's exercised in private? That's not a valid New Testament gift. If it doesn't edify another believer, then it's not the biblical use of the gift. Saying that something is a private prayer language doesn't justify it. All the gifts are intended to edify someone else. 
that's done in private doesn't edify anyone. I mean, think about it. Paul's use of the word ministries implies this is for someone else, for someone else's benefit. And we always need to remember what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 4.10. So the biblical command can't be any clearer than this, as he says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. All the gifts are for others. They're not for you. Fourth is the word operations or effects. In verse 6, this literally means energizings. In other words, God not only provides the gifts, but he also provides the power to operate those gifts. You could say batteries are included. So we see operations or effects of the Spirit. Fifth, there's the word manifestation in verse 7. This is a simple word that means to make clear, to make visible, to make known, or to make manifest. Is the exact opposite of to hide or to be in private. Listen, the spiritual gifts are not private. They are public. They are for manifestation. They are intended to be visible. If someone says to you they have a private gift, then you should ask them, how can it be private when the Bible says that all the gifts are given to declare the public working of the Spirit of God? How can you have a private gift? Verse 7 literally means the Spirit is given to every Christian for the common good. That's what the Greek word Sumphero, common, means. This is the word for profit. It's intended to profit everyone. Listen, whatever your spiritual gift is, one thing you can be sure of is that it is given to you so that you can profit somebody else. It's not given just to profit you. It's given, given to profit the church as a whole. Now, we're not going to have time to go into the list of specific gifts tonight, so I want to drop down to verse 11 for just a moment. In verse 11, Paul says, But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. How many Christians have spiritual gifts? All of them. All of them. If you're Christian... You have at least one spiritual gift. You probably have more than one. There is no such thing as a spiritual elite when it comes to spiritual gifts. All Christians have spiritual gifts. And no gift is more important than another gift. The phrase distributing to each one implies universality. All believers Every genuine, genuine believer has at least one spiritual gift. And, of course, I don't mean by that that unbelievers have spiritual gifts, but all true believers do. Every last one of us who is born again through faith in Christ has at least one gift. And, folks, listen, God 
is going to hold all of us accountable for what we do with the gifts he has given us. We're going to be held accountable for that. The Spirit of God has given those gifts to us for a specific reason, which is to edify the saints. So we better make sure we're using our gifts that way. The word individual in verse 11 is translated severally in the King James. That's an interesting word in the Greek. It's the word idios from where we get the word idiot. Do you know what an idiot is? Literally, he is someone with no duplicate in the world. And when we say that someone is an idiot, we may not realize it, but it comes from an old word that means peculiar. And the word peculiar originally meant he's the only one. There's no other like him. Well, guess what? The Bible tells us as Christians, we're all idiots. We're all idiots. We're all unique. We're all spiritual snowflakes. There are no two of us alike. And that is all by God's design. It's all by God's design. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. This is the way God wants it. He wants there to be unity in diversity. Now, I didn't take the time tonight to go into this list of specific gifts, and we'll do that next time. But someone once said that you can consider these spiritual gifts like the primary colors. I think there are eight primary colors. And an artist can take these eight primary colors and can mix those colors into an endless number of color combinations. Is that right, Judy? That's how it works. I believe this is what God does with the gifts. The Holy Spirit, the master artist, takes the primary spiritual gifts and blends them in such a way to create an endless number of combinations. And that's why every one of us is truly unique. And that's why each and every one of us is needed in the body of Christ. Well, since I don't have time to go into this list of spiritual gifts tonight, let me just close with a summary of what we have seen so far about spiritual gifts. I'm going to give you about 14 things here. I don't know if you can write all these down uh, that quickly, but if you don't get them all, just let me know. I'll send them to you. But there are 14 principles taught in Scripture concerning the proper use of spiritual gifts. So here they are. Number one, they are absolutely essential to the health and vitality of the church. They're absolutely essential. Each and every one of the spiritual gifts is designed by God to build up the church as a whole. Without the gifts operating as God intends, the church is crippled and is not as effective as it could be. 
So this is why we are commanded by God to employ our gifts in serving one another. This is also why we're told that no one can say that their gift or gifts are not important. And we're going to see that later on in this chapter. Every gift is important and every gift needs to be operating as God has designed. Number two, they are sometimes counterfeited by Satan. The devil loves to take what God intends for good and provide his own counterfeit for evil. There are many ways in which Satan deceives Christians into thinking they're doing God's will, but they are in fact falling into deceptiveness. In the same way that Pharaoh's magicians produced false miracles, During the time of Moses, so the devil loves to produce that which seems to be miraculous, but is really of his own doing. And he counterfeits in many ways, but one of the most prominent is in the area of spiritual gifts. And we see this in the pagan um, mystery religions, but we also see it very prominent today in the modern charismatic movement. And we're going to spend a lot more time on that as we move into the subject more deeply. Number three, the Holy Spirit is the source of all spiritual gifts. They're not not only given by the Holy Spirit, but they're energized and controlled by the Holy Spirit. This is one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit in the church today. He is the one who gives the gifts to genuine believers in Christ. And the Bible tells us he gives these gifts as he chooses. It's not our choice. He decides. He is the one who determines which gifts are given to each individual believer. Number four, they're used by God to unite the body of Christ. We spent a lot of time on this one. We have seen how one of the main purposes for giving the spiritual gifts is to create and maintain unity in the church. And so God gives these gifts to bring unity in the midst of diversity. Number five, they are not for the possessor, but for the other members of the body. Your spiritual gifts are not for you. They're for others. No spiritual gift is intended for personal benefit. Every spiritual gift is for someone else's benefit. This principle in itself eliminates something like a private prayer language that only benefits the individual. There's no such thing as a spiritual gift that only benefits me. If it isn't edifying someone else, then it is not legitimate. If it is something that is only benefiting me, then it is probably Satan's counterfeit and not the genuine gift. Number six, they have the promise of divine power to exercise them. None of the true gifts operate by human ability. All true spiritual gifts operate by the power of God. And as we've seen already in this passage, 
the Holy Spirit not only supplies the gift, but he supplies the power by which to operate that gift. Number seven, they come in varieties. Remember, we're all idiots. We're all completely unique. We are spiritual snowflakes. There are no two of us alike. The Holy Spirit takes the primary colors, if you will, and blends them into a masterpiece for God's glory. This is why it is difficult, really, for someone to clearly define what gift or gifts they may have. Because the chances are they are a blend of different gifts that God uses for his own purposes. So most of us have a mixture of various gifts. We don't have like one gift clearly identified. And the main thing is not that we figure out what gift or gifts we have, but that we're serving him in the way he has enabled us. Whatever your mix looks like. Number eight, they are not a sign of spirituality. Any idea that one gift is more spiritual than another is wrong. Any idea that a certain spiritual gift confirms whether or not you are saved is absolutely wrong. The spiritual gifts are not badges of spirituality. We can never elevate one gift above another. The Holy Spirit of God gives all of them as he chooses. And as Paul is going to make clear, the showy gifts are not more important than the others. Each gift is equally important. Number nine, you can have a gift and not be using it. The fact that we are commanded in Scripture to make sure that we are employing our gifts to serve one another implies that it's possible to do the opposite. It is possible to fail to utilize your gift as God would have you to. And what is the negative impact of this neglect? Well, not only is the body of Christ not being built up as God intends, but the unity of the church can also be negatively impacted. And since God has designed the gifts to help maintain unity in the church, the failure to employ those gifts in serving one another can mean division and strife may result. Now, I'll just throw this in as well. It is also possible that you have a gift or gifts that you have not fully developed they're not developed because you haven't been exercising them. And so they're in kind of an inert stage, if you will. And you need to begin exercising those gifts so that they'll become fully developed. Number 10, there are several terms used in Scripture to refer to spiritual gifts. They're called energizings, services, manifestations, grace gifts, and spirituals. And we just went through these, really, you could use any of those terms to refer to the spiritual gifts. Number 11, there's a multitude of gifts. The lists of gifts given in Scripture are probably not exhaustive. There are likely other gifts that are not included 
in these lists. And again, uh, we should not get so caught up in trying to identify which gifts we have. And I believe the best way to really discover how God has gifted you is to simply roll up your sleeves and begin to serve somewhere. And when you do that, you will quickly discover what you are good at and what how God has enabled you. Number 12, all the gifts are intended to build up the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.12 says that the gifted men that God has given to the church are for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What should we expect when we see the spiritual gifts being used the way God intended? Well, we should expect to see the church growing, both numerically and spiritually. Why should we expect that? Because that's the purpose for spiritual gifts, to help build up the body of Christ. Number 13, some gifts are also sign gifts. These were temporary gifts given for the apostolic age and the foundation of the church. And we're going to spend a lot of time on these gifts because these are the gifts that are most often abused in the church today. And we're especially going to spend time on the gift of tongues. Number 14, the gifts of the Spirit are not the same as the fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are not the same as the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to see these distinctions more clearly as we go through this. That's often confusing to people, but we need to differentiate between those two. Well, I think that's as far as we're going to be able to get tonight. But we are going to uh, continue to go systematically through this because it's so important. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your word gives us instruction on how we're to live. And your word gives us instruction for how the church is to operate. And so we pray that you help us in um, pleasing you and uh, honoring you and uh, doing what your word has given to us. So, Lord, we pray that you help us to be about that work even this week uh, and that we'll be serving you faithfully. And uh, we thank you for that privilege tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.